that's like your dad saying that like hey i'm gonna i'm gonna be there through your for your whole life i'm gonna show up and be solid but there are gonna be times when i'm like <laughs> like hey when i'm there i'm gonna be the best dad ever that's literally a line from liar liar she's like you are yeah. the best dad ever when you're there when, you're, when you like, show up yeah when you show up why was that every single children's movie in the 90s where it was like, hey, this dad's cheating on his family, but he'll come around. <laughs> like He's the pro. You think maybe there were some generational things going on there. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> maybe Absolutely. the greatest generation left a mark. <laughs> <laughs> we're men. Okay. That means a few things. Men sometimes have strange motives for the things they do. But we are still proud or if a man loses pride in manhood, he is nothing. I'm a man. I'm sensitive. Confronted with their true selves, most men run away screaming. Isn't this a strange conversation for men who aren't crazy? You make me want to be a better man. Hey, buddies. That's right. Welcome back to the Better Men Film Club podcast. Uh, there's more. There's actually more men here today. We've got our very first uh, guest on the podcast today. First, Nick, how are you doing, man? I'm good. What is this podcast, though, Dave? This is the Better Men Film Club podcast. This is the podcast where I don't have it pulled up. <laughs> <laughs> JK, this is a podcast where we uh, use the lens of film to dissect, explore, and challenge the messaging and social conditioning that men have received in the last century or so, both positive and problematic, all in the hopes to be better. Uh, we just want to be better. We want to be better, and we want to be better for you, Derek, our very first podcast guest ever it's an historic day yeah ladies and gentlemen please welcome Derek wingfield 50 percent more better 50 percent more better heck Easily. yes that's the name that's the name of this episode now it's fight club but we can add in parentheses yeah i want this to be the longest title that anchor will allow us to put on there yeah exactly also i'm really glad that you introduced him nick because we i'm the only one who has my last name on the thing here you have yours set to narrator which was a great little reference for today's episode and me and derek are we're recent friends you are you are the glue that holds this triumvirate together today um, and I didn't know Derek's last name, but I really wanted the world to hear it. So thank you, Derek Wingfield. Derek for Wingfield yeah. today. <laughs> Which is honestly like, it's, it's such a cool name that uh, a guy I used to be in a band with. Um, I don't know if you actually ever knew Jared Smith. Derek and I grew up together, by the way, everybody. And, uh, but Jared Smith named a musical project that he did after you. <laughs> did you know that? I did not know that. That is Do you remember fantastic. What was it called? It was called yeah. Wingfield. He called it Wingfield because he thought, like, he thought, Derek's last name was like the coolest last name of all time, which it kind of is pretty badass. Wingfield is great. Wow. That you is know. pretty great. It's better than Gregory. I share a name with the host of Meet the Press. <laughs> great. And I changed my name. This you changed me. I went, I went through the courthouse and changed my name to the yeah. same name. Anyway, it could have been know. different. It could have been, you could have chosen anything. It was different. <laughs> it, it was could have been anything. unique. I ruined it. Anyway. It sure did. Um, well, welcome in. Derek is, uh, for those of you listening who don't know, Derek is a guy that I grew up with. We've been friends, I think, since I was, I remember like meeting you in band, maybe like my yes. eighth grade or ninth grade year. We, Derek and I were both in the trombone section in band. We, because we both definitely had trombones in our hands when we met. 
A hundred percent. And also very, both at that time, especially very socially awkward. And so we probably were around each other for months without speaking a word. Um, That's redundant. When I say that we both had trombones in our hands, we were socially (laughs) awkward. You didn't have to add that, but yeah, true. Accurate statement. Good call. Um, Yeah, but I'm guarantee you the first conversation we had was us cracking jokes at something and it's kind of never stopped. Fast forward 20 some odd years and here we are. Absolutely. And Derek and I, that's what's so great is like so many people that you grow up with, you're like, yeah, we knew each other in high school. That's kind of like our, our only point of connection. And Derek and I, Derek's one of those guys, if my, if my life was saved by the bell, um, saved by the bell, the new class, and then saved by the bell, uh, uh, the college years, which we all have established canon on this podcast is the best save of the bell iteration. <laughs> um, Derek would be the screech of, of my life because he's in all of those things. Cause Derek and I ended up, we, we ended up being roommates for a summer. And then we worked together at a, at a video store, West coast video in Arkadelphia, Arkansas. Um, he was in my wedding. Uh, we just have continued to be friends off and on over the last 20 some odd years. And it, it's, pretty fantastic one of my first 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 true like movie friends that i talked like we geeked out on movies together uh you know as long as he's not the dustin diamond of your life i think we're good to go i'm gonna say there might have been some a a less problematic comparison you could have made but (laughs) as long as we stick to the fictional character of screech and not dustin diamond i uh i'll take it i was gonna say you're now contractually obligated to slip a zoinks into this episode for us (laughs) Oh man, if this wasn't a Fight Club episode, contractually obligated Zoinks would have been a great name for an episode title. <laughs> you know Between that, that was in, 50% more better, yeah. Yeah, you know that was in Dustin Diamond's contract. It was like it, it, there is there is some lawyer office in in LA that has the words contractually obligated Zoinks in it. That's inc- <laughs> that's incredible. Rest in peace Dustin Diamond. I heard you were a piece of shit, but anyway. Um yeah. I'll, I'll edit that part out. He's dead. Why, why am I? Why am I? Why am I taking shots at the dead dude? Um, fun story though. When I was in first time I ever went to New York in 2003, um, I played a, a, a gig at CBGBs when that was still a thing, like literally months before they shut it down. And uh, Elijah Wood was there, uh, and he was hanging out with Dustin Diamond. <laughs> so they, and That's I was insane. like, why are you? And Elijah wow. Wood could not have been kinder, could not have been nicer, could not have been more chatty and just like genuinely interested in, in us because, you know, he's he's big, a big music guy. And Dustin Diamond could not have been more annoyed that we were taking attention away from him because at that time, Lord of the Rings was humongous. I think Two Towers hadn't even come out yet. And so there, the anticipation was huge. And so That's Dustin crazy. Diamond wanted some of that, that Elijah Wood flame. And he was, I remember him just being like in all leather and just like annoyed, just like, Justin Diamond in all leather? Yes, all like leather jacket, like seemingly a leather, like like a button up leather shirt with a collar. Mm-hmm. Anyway, anyway, that's my story. Dustin Diamond. It's your story. You're sticking to it. I like it. So anyway, speaking of Dennis Rodman. <laughs> <laughs> which we weren't. We weren't speaking of Well, that. we kind of were off mic, not off mic, but pre Hey Buddy. Yeah. I was professing buddy. my love for double team. I called it double take, but it's double team. Yeah, PHB, we were talking about it. That's pre Hey Buddy. Uh, Derek, I know this already, but the audience doesn't. If you, I'm going to spring some questions on you, but like, what is your relationship with film, with movies? I know you, I know you to be a movie buff, but I do not know where that started, what kind of ignited that love for you early on as a kid. What are the first, what are the earliest movies where you were like, holy crap, like big ones for you? 
Yeah. So I think it probably stems for me from being an only child that grew up in rural Arkansas. Yeah. So I had a lot of free time on my hands. My social awkwardness precedes even my trombonist days. Uh, and, uh, so for the first uh, few years of my adolescent life, it was uh, I had like a, a a VHS copy that my mom, when the Star Wars movies came out, my mom took blank tapes to a video store and paid them to make copies, which I'm sure was probably illegal. But this was small town Arkansas. Absolutely. Um, and so she managed to get without buying them, because if you like if you remembered back that far to buy a VHS tape could be like, it, it was way more than going to the, the DVD bin at Walmart. Now, like they were expensive. You had to wait years sometimes for them to come out just for like the public to buy them. So I had a VHS tape that had all three of the, the original trilogy, trilogy star Wars films on them that I wore out. And then um, like on, on our, uh, you know, antenna that got like four channels, uh, I remember watching like we like and eagerly anticipated the movies of the week that used to play, you know, on like Sunday night. Um, so it's uh, it's always been, you know, movies have always been a, a constant companion in my life and uh, started me down that path. Fast forward a few years to working at West Coast Video, where uh, an employee long, alongside our intrepid co-host, Nick Flora. Um, it was the second coolest job I could ever imagine just behind if I actually got to work at a movie theater. Cause then you got to see new movies, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, was surrounded by movies and just binge them constantly. Yeah. Oh, that was a, incredible. That, that honestly getting that job, like in our small town was the coolest. Cause it was our version of blockbuster. It was big. It was a huge selection. Oh, there. I bet. And everybody yeah, I mean, was like, the celebrities of the town worked there. Like I was like, I would see like guys who worked there at Walmart and stuff be like, oh, that's that guy. <laughs> yeah. That's a video. Story. Well, think about it before the internet, before the internet, you couldn't, you couldn't like watch movies on Netflix. So it was like getting go to go to work inside the internet every day. You could watch whatever you wanted. And it was the only place to find, you know, independent movies and you know, stuff that you, you didn't see on uh, on TV. Great. I was telling Nick a couple weeks ago, just on Marco Polo, how like every time I see that in a movie, every time I see that in Stranger Things or whatever, where you have the teenagers working in the video store, like I always regret not having done that because I was just like I was the last generation who could have worked in a video store as a teenager. I'm just a, a couple years younger than you guys, and so it's like I remember, like when I was dating Kate before we got married, I remember I would stop by on the way to her house for date night. I would go to Blockbuster; they were going out of business, so I would just buy a DVD that I'd never seen for like a dollar. And that's what we would watch that night. And I loved building my collection and seeing the movies. But so already by the time I was in my early twenties, these were like on their way out. So for me, I honestly think too, I think that that's a better, I think that that is a better job to have had than working at the movie theater. Cause honestly, the people who worked at the movie theater were not cool. No offense. Sorry. I don't mean it that way, but like, I know what you mean. Like I looked up to the, the dudes at the video store cause you could ask them any question and they could answer any question for you. They could hop right mm-hmm. back in for you. And at, at the movie theater, it wasn't the same thing. It was kind of like, you just tear a ticket, you go. And then I, I know you don't get to see new movies at the video store, but at a, at a theater, you only have what's on the screen. Like in, in a movie, like at a video store, you could literally, pull whatever you wanted to from the shelves and watch it at any given time. Like that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. It didn't really seem like movie theater people had 
like an extensive extensive knowledge but the video store people definitely did for some reason uh derek do you remember when any of those movies of the week were because that was a big deal for me too they would play some of them on a loop like on the sunday night nbc movies or whatever. yeah um man i don't remember any of them uh i remember tremors played all the time do you remember tremors and and does to this day on tbs <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the super yeah. I, I've, I've the superstation. I've never seen Tremors, but I've seen Tremors too, like forty times. <laughs> <laughs> Every time Tremors heart. pops on, I'm like, "What the hell is this? Why can't they move around and walk yet?" I'm always like, "Wait, is this the one with Kevin Bacon?" Nope. Okay, not the original one then. Uh, I remember <laughs> T2, Terminator 2 used to play a lot, and then weirdly enough, Back to the Future. Yeah. 3. I saw Back to the Future three, I think, before I saw the first one. So I was like, "What is Ugh. this?" I know. Right? I love. I love all three of those. Now. I also had a VHS that I recorded of Back to the Future 3 off of like that broadcast. And I would like just sit with my finger on the pause button to pause the recording so I could edit out all the commercials. You know what, dude? I did that too. And honestly, I'm so heartbroken because I would love nothing more than to go back and watch 1993 like local <laughs> Arkansas commercials. Now that would be incredibly nostalgic. I'm so sad that yeah. I did that. I got good at that too. See, I just got rid of all those videos because I never, I didn't record the commercials out. I wasn't that smart. I just hit record and watched everything. And so <laughs> I would watch them over and I would fast forward through the commercials when they came on. You could just hit fast mm-hmm. forward, but I never stopped it. And I just, I think I just lost all those VHSs now. They may exist in storage somewhere. They're probably melted. I, I played a, uh, uh, our local, the Little Rock local, like Good Morning Arkansas a few times. And uh, there's a lot of just like hanging out. There's a lot of like, I'm in the control room and bored. And I told them one time, I was like, I think I'd be good at this job. And they're like, oh, really? Did you, do you have a communications degree? And I was like, no, but I know when to press pause and unpause when recording things off TV. It's always when the news bumper comes on and they're going to be like more tonight at 10 unpause like i just knew that there was always there news bumpers right before they went back into it and and there's a girl in there who is maybe like 25 she's like wait what and the, there's an old stage manager guy in there who was like yeah it's pretty much what we do um so that's anyway, hilarious little little anecdote guys do you like that i love it i loved it it's not as good as the dustin diamond one but you know we'll, we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> uh derek do you uh do you have a memory of getting that job at West Coast Video and what that feeling was like? Because, like I said, it, it was like the celebrity. It was the, the coolest place to work in our town. I can't express to people who are not our age <laughs> like what a big deal it was. I, I've been chasing that high ever since. <laughs> <laughs> no joke. Here's the, here's the thing. I remember when I got hired, it was the week I can pinpoint it. It was the week. Cause it was, it was Friday when I got hired and I couldn't believe it. And my, I was starting on Monday, I think, but the guy, my Shane, our boss, uh, who was our King, he was the greatest. He told me, like, you. Hey, if, if you want to go grab, absolutely rest in peace. He's still alive, but I hope he sleeps well tonight. Um, he, uh, <laughs> Shane Muse told me if you want to go grab from the back room, the movies that come out on, on Tuesday, like you can go ahead and grab those already. And I was just like, they came out on Tuesday, right? I just said that yeah, yeah. wrong. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And and I was like, absolutely. And like I remember my girlfriend was waiting in the car and I came out with the two movies that released that week, which was the story of us, that weird uh Michelle Pfeiffer, um, Bruce Willis like dramedy, but it was way it was like a depressing look at a, like a divorced couple and uh Stigmata, <laughs> the that movie. Oh I think wow. Was, <laughs> I remember Stigmata. that movie. That movie scared the shit out yeah. of me. Yeah, I was not old enough to see that movie. And I took it and my girlfriend and I watched it. And both of those were we were like, we don't need to be watching these movies, but they were free. So I wish I could remember the first 
That's a great memory. I wish I could remember what the first like free movie I got to take home from West Coast Video was. That was a big deal for me because I I just yeah. oh absolutely because we we were always a family on a budget, so to go and get a new release movie was rare. We usually had to stick to the dollar section, you know. There is D- Derek. Do you remember the uh the, there was this was like late nineties or early two thousands. The internet was kind of starting to be in everybody's homes, but the, it, it wasn't what it ended up being. But there was we had a thing in the corner. It was literally an information booth. It basically was IMDb. We're like you. We would yeah. we would literally be like, you know, because one of the, our proudest, Derek. I think you can attest to this. One of our proudest moments when people will come in and give us bare minimum, trying to explain what a movie was, so they could pick it out. There's a movie with the guy from this movie, and he does this and this, and we could be like, it's this, and just know it and call it. That was like that was like a point of pride. Oh. I can't express to you. Dave, you you would understand that. Oh, it, it still so is a point of pride. It good. still is absolutely. Every time my oh, yeah. mom or some uh, like older some. relative in my family's like, "What's the yeah. one about the guy with the dog?" and you're just like, "Oh, you, this one." We should do some here in a minute. Um, I'll, I'll toss some out to you guys and you see if you can get it. But there was, <laughs> but, but if we didn't know it, we would go over to this computer and we'd look it up, and and it literally was like a DOS type screen where we would type in movies and stuff. It, it was wild. All computers and, uh, were. <laughs> Yeah, all computers were oh, DOS yeah. type screens. In okay, I, forgot. <laughs> I forgot. There was no flash player yet. Yeah. Yeah. Then we could print it out on our dot matrix printer. <laughs> sure did. You know, rip those edges yeah. off. Um, rip the edges off and give it to them in triplicate. Derek, do you have a, a specific memory about somebody coming in and, and uh, asking for a movie oh, yeah. the, with the bare minimum of information. Yeah. About it. My, my absolute favorite. And I probably told you guys this one it, is somebody came in and said that it was a martial arts movie and the guy had long sleeves. That was it. <laughs> He's like this dude, you know, it's the dude and like his sleeve, like, the, like, like real, like the sleeves are so long. They cover his hands. It's like, Oh yeah. Romeo must die. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> like, walking right to the new release was like, yeah that's it are you kidding me that's by the way great one film. of my to this day one of my proudest moments like my kids you know graduating college and and then <laughs> romeo went back that's amazing yeah. <laughs> we're gonna put that on your tombstone like he is survived by, he survived by his daughters and nick and dave and then also Totally nailed Romeo must die. <laughs> and then I'm just going to come unofficially with a chisel later and, and carve in 50% Mo Betta <laughs> for no one to know. Just to, to your family's chagrin. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm going to, I'm going to throw it out. See if you guys know this. All right. I'm going to be one of those customers. Okay. Um, okay. It's like a romantic comedy kind of, but there's like time travel and that blonde girl, who was in that big '90s movie? Isn't it? Blast from the past. Blast time. Blast from the past. Oh. Holy crap! Oh, you're 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 saying back like uh, uh, in in the time period. Yeah, yeah, I was going back then. I wasn't saying. Yeah, I was trying to think '90s. Uh, absolutely, blast from the past. Good job. Okay, I got it. <clears throat> it's like two dudes, and they're in the desert, and it's funny and goofy. It's like uh, I don't know. One of them's like brothers, handsome uh, in real life. Auto rockers like. A stoner. I don't know. They're just like, what is that? Like, I heard about this. It's like, <laughs> any idea? Did you hear me? Did you hear my guess? Did, did you get it? No, I kept going. Oh, it's no. Not. no, I would oh. say yes. Uh, you know the guy. He's like goofy. His de- his brother's like more famous than him. Super handsome. 
but he's kind of the doofy brother in real life. And then he's in this movie with this other guy and this other guy's annoying, but like makes a bunch of movies and they're in the desert underneath like a, in a tent or something. Do you know what that is? You guys are really letting me down. (laughs) Goofy guy tent adventure. It's biodome. (laughs) But in the desert, you know, what's so funny when you literally said two guys in the desert. I'm not even kidding you. No one's going to believe me for this now. Literally, no one will believe me. But I I thought I don't know if I I, I thought Polly Shore. I don't know why that popped into my head, but there's no. Are they in the desert in that movie? Yeah, it's it's like in the middle of Arizona or something. I didn't remember that. Um, But also he was in the desert and in the army now, which is like right after that movie. Yeah. Uh, Man, we've talked about it on here before, but what a ride Polly Shore had for a minute there. <laughs> for real. He literally did do go you, from okay. no one to the biggest guy on the planet. Like, Do you guys think that... Oh, no joke. Do you guys think that Jesse from the Wanna Be a VJ contest... VJ? He was gonna, yeah. Do you think he was gonna gonna be the next Polly Shore? Do you think he was like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have like 10 movies? Uh, because he kind of was the next wave Polly Shore. Remember? Do you remember him, Derek? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Polly Shore charted the course for like a gener- the the yeah. prototypical generation of influencers. They're like, oh, I only have to do one thing and I can be famous and successful. That's so true. I think if he had thought that, he could have done that. I think Jesse was along uh, for the ride, man. I think Jesse, <laughs> I think Jesse was a hairstyle just surfing that wave, and there was absolutely no maneuvering happening there uh personally and that's also i think i might have thought that if i hadn't read when i read that uh dave holmes party of one he tells a couple Mm -hmm. jesse stories that are that are super polite and funny and everything but it doesn't paint the picture of a guy who knew the chance he'd been given and how to take (laughs) advantage of that as much as did a guy was like i don't know man (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. At some point, you you, you kind of hope that like he was playing a role, but I think he like I think Paulie Shore was definitely playing a role more than Jesse Camp 100%. was. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was definitely just that guy, which makes it sadder to me. I'm like, oh no, I thought he was doing something performance art or something like that. Derek, but, did you vote for the wannabe of EJ contest? Were you one of the people calling in and voting? You seem like you might have been. I, I like I don't think I had cable yet at that point, so I was a I was a late comer to the whole like MTV universe. Yeah, yeah, I forgot. You mentioned the other day you have an MTV knowledge gap. I was talking about Road Rules, and that never. Yeah, did like Road right. Rules, Real yeah. World. Um, I, I knew about it just you know through like osmosis. Like it was enough of a part of pop culture that I was aware of it, mm-hmm. but I was on the outside looking in. You and Aaron Lewis, my friend. <laughs> I'm gonna edit the shit out of that. That's you said trapped. The only I don't know if this is trapped. The only thing I could think of was that really. That is a horrible song. Is it Headstrong? Is that them? The back off or take yeah. you on. You have to be more specific because they had a they had a few. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we might even get into the the really bad, angry white guy rap rock music tonight when we talk about our, our movie subject. Yeah, they're, they're kind of closely very, related. Let's get into this because I'm very excited to this was like one when I thought about having guests on, like I knew that this would be a big movie to discuss, and I had uh Derek specifically in mind because when Derek and I worked at West Coast Video this movie came out and I will tell you from my personal experience I only heard about it a little bit because it wasn't a huge hit in the theaters but it was like a movie that hit video and never left the show or like didn't stay on the shelf it was just it was insane how this movie like really caught fire and like 
you know, I, I was college age for that. So it was like college dudes specifically, you know, I feel like there, there's a bunch of those, right? Like Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. um, Pulp yeah. Fiction. Like there's a bunch of movies like that in the 90s that were just on people like Scarface, uh, Goodfellas. It was like on poster on college dudes walls and Fight Club became that. And it was, it was fun like to watch that happen in real life working at the video store. What's, what's your memory of that, Derek, of like getting into Fight Club and, and being in that experience? Yeah. So I actually saw it in the in the theater. I don't I didn't know what I was going to see, but I got to see it in the theater and then went to buy the DVD before I even owned a DVD player. So I came to West Coast Video before I worked there and say it was like mm-hmm. one copy and it was the collector's edition with like the cool like brown paper. You know, it looked like a Project Mayhem homework assignment. Um, and I was so excited that I could own Fight Club. I didn't even have a DVD player, but I was like, yes, I will pay like video store markup just so that I can own this thing. It is so incredible. It was mind blowing. And it was all around the same time that like, I feel like just twist endings were having a moment then yeah. around the same time as like Six Sense, uh, Memento, uh, and then Fight Club. So it was, it was this sort of like, you know, once you'd seen it and you knew what it was, you one, you immediately wanted to go watch it again and like pick up on it, but you're like part of the club. Um, by the way, so that's all the three of those movies are in the same year. Those are all 99, which is wild. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You would know that. I know I would. Honestly, that working at West Coast Video is what started my knowledge of knowing when things came out. It's really wild. Uh, but uh, just reading the taking in the backs of, you know, these VHS box tapes that we, we would organize so many times and clean and take down and put up. You just you like you, you were saying it was osmosis. You just kind of take it in. Um, I remember specifically watching Fight Club for the first time and hating it. Like, but I also started at like one in the morning <laughs> and mm. it really, and I was this like sheltered Christian <laughs> kid. And so it really messed with me. Um, and I had really weird dreams. And then I remember like waking up the next day, you know, like around noon and just watching it again. And the second time I was like, oh my gosh, like this is incredible. But it's so trippy when you first watch it. It's hard to explain because it's been copied so many times. I feel like if it wasn't for Fight Club, we so wouldn't have times. like a lucky number Slevin or like all these stylized kind of like action type stuff like Guy Ritchie, like Snatch was popular because Fight Club was popular, not just because of Brad Pitt. Um, it was that stylized action that people like yeah. late, late 90s, early 2000s <clears throat> that really took off. Yeah, so, I really do thoughts? think this is this movie like it 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 started it was one of the first hyper stylized movies like that around that time. You know what I mean? Like there yeah. was there was a lot of action. There was a lot of comedy. There was a lot of satire up to this point all throughout the 80s and 90s and mm-hmm. stuff like that. I don't know if I can remember. I, I mean, maybe Terry Gilliam did a lot of that stuff. Like 12 Monkeys was what, 96, I think. And mm-hmm. so and Brad Pitt had a had a, had a piece of that. What oh, was the so movie? Good so good. So good. And, and that was a, a similarly like a hyper stylized movie, I thought. But yeah. Fight Club did that to a to a different degree. I think even like when you open up just with the um the opening credits where you can't really tell what's what it's moving through. It was like kind of the beginning of CGI being that accessible mm-hmm. and it's flying through. It kind of looks like you're going through a brain and these all these synapses are firing. I don't know what it is. Um 
but um it. it's yeah i don't know is that i don't know if that's supposed to be what it is but but i was this the movie or was it 12 monkeys i remember here's here's what my little christian boy brain remembered because 96 when 12 monkeys came out i was 10 so i was 12 when this movie came out so i did not see it in theaters i saw it on vhs probably some point in high school honestly i don't even know if i saw it in middle school but all i remember is a big hubbub about brad pitt promoting the movie by taking a bunch of pictures wearing a dress he was like taking pictures in dresses and they're like oh it's promo for his new movie and of course my little christian bubble was all about like the decline of masculinity in the western society and what's going to happen to our boys and all that like that's been happening for 30 years okay guys so everyone get off of harry styles balls no literally joke. like let him wear what he wants this has been happening for a long time yeah he's the og harry styles i, I mean dude uh, and before him kurt cobain and before him david Bo like men have been wearing dresses forever oh that's a good point um yeah. i'm trying to see when that was derek do you remember if that was brad pitt or or if that was a uh... Fight Club? Yeah, that was Fight Club. I remember seeing those those promo images of him in like just yeah, grungy like, you know, wall like fitting with the aesthetic of the movie in in some sort of a weird mm -hmm. dress. I just looked it up and honestly, he looks like more of a man in this in this like really does. sequin reflective dress than I've ever looked in my life. No <laughs> joke, <laughs> I could put on a full battle dress uniform. And those shoes, no. I want them. Uh, I'm looking it up. Too. Speaking Ooh. of Nick, and I don't want this to be a huge rabbit trail, but on last week's podcast episode, you recommended an episode of Armchair Expert to me uh, yeah. with uh, Kumail Nanjani and Rob McElhenney, where they it's literally called Men's Bodies with mm -hmm. Kumail Nanjani and Brad Mc or Rob McElhenney, and they just talk about this where they do identify. Like I think his trainer said, "Oh, Brad Pitt Fight Club. That's the body that every single guy comes to me and says that he wants." And rewatching the movie, I was like, yeah, I got to have this I know, guy's right? Body. It's insane. <laughs> One way or another. <laughs> and it's funny because watching him, that scene in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like, you know, where he's in his 50s and he like takes his shirt off and fixes the thing on the roof. That's where I'm like, all right, he's 50. Is this more attainable for me? <laughs> nope, it's not. <laughs> nope, just as unattainable. Just as, as unattainable. I, it, there's just some people who just <laughs> genetically... You're just like, all right, there's just one of them. And this dude's from fucking Missouri. What? What's happening? He looks like he was made he in the, the lab. Lottery, man. I know he really, really yeah. did. Uh, I love him so much. But yeah, I, I I don't know that I can remember the first time I saw this movie. I know that it wasn't in theaters. I know that I rented it. And part of me thinks that it was probably much later in high school, if not even college, when I was able to finally rent it and sit down and watch it. It just seems like a movie that I've always known about and I've always yeah. seen. I remember talking about it with friends in like my senior year of high school vaguely. So I feel like I saw it before then. Um but I don't have like a first memory of that. I did rewatching it this time. I, I think I've realized this is one of those movies that's just been it's it's in the zeitgeist. People will make jokes about like, oh, that's our fight club uh -huh. without even re talking about like that. Now, that idea of a fight club is just in the zeitgeist. Like culturally, we have accepted this movie completely by osmosis. It's in our blood. And so like rewatching it i just realized oh i haven't seen this movie in years i don't watch it because it's just a movie that i'm like oh yeah i've seen that you feel like like you it's just like over and over, yeah. i feel like i've seen it recently even you know and rewatching it i realized how much i forgot about it how different the tone and the pacing is from what i remembered um and it was kind of a little bit like i don't want to say i didn't like it i i really enjoyed rewatching it but i think my memories of it were a little shinier than the rewatch yeah, I'm curious to hear y'all's thoughts on that. Did y'all watch it this weekend? Uh, 
Yeah, it was definitely a much different movie watching it now as a 42-year-old than it was as yeah. a 22-year-old mm-hmm. originally. Um, and I'm sure like we'll, we'll unpack this a lot, but I realized how, how much I missed the boat on what this movie was even about. Yes. I want to talk about that because so Derek watching this for the first time and you watched in the theater and you're like, Holy crap, what an, what a mind blowing experience. What, what was that? Do you remember? Can you pinpoint what that takeaway was? Yeah. And I think in, like you, you've already hit on it. This like angry white guy in the nineties and Nick, I know I've, I like, I've heard you use this phrase so many times in, in the last few years, this idea of like, we don't have a great war. We, you know, the great depression is our lives. It's this, it was this like, Oh, this, this movie gets me because I'm angry, but I don't know why. And so I just want to go burn down the world for some reason. So it, it felt like me, this, you know, privileged white kid in a private school, you know, private university in, in, uh, in Southwest Arkansas is like, Project Mayhem is for me. Yeah. They understand me. And it was just this exaggerated idea of like, okay, here's what could happen if you took that too far. Not like I wanted to go burn the world down, but it was like, yeah, this movie's angry about the same things that I'm angry about. And it about. is very cathartic to watch like the Project Mayhem part. Like you're like, oh, that's kind of great. Like, and, it, and they made all of their, I mean, it's, it's, it's localized terrorism, you know, it's domestic terrorism, but it, it, it's, it's, but they make it funny, <laughs> yeah. so it feels like, oh, that's fine. It's kind of silly. Like, it's a smiley face, you know, or whatever it is. Yeah. You know, it's localized terrorism. It's also kind of like church. Like, and I don't mean this is a war on religion. But I think with anything where, like, you go... Kate and I were watching this documentary recently that... Completely unrelated, but there was a great line in it where they talk about... When you want, when you stop wanting to do the work on yourself, and you start looking to someone else to give you life's answers, what you should be doing, what that relationship that is rife for a predatory relationship, mm-hmm. for one person to be the person to say, "Here's what yeah. you should all think." Now, church didn't start off that way. This is not a war against Christianity or whatever religion or whatever church you're sitting in. But I think it's mm-hmm. like that. I, I noticed a lot of that stuff where it was like the idea that they're saying, like, "Hey, you feel." this is getting farther into the movie and we can take a couple steps back here in a minute. But once they did the project mayhem stuff starts in high fidelity or in high fidelity <laughs> in fight club. Um, it was very much like, Hey, you feel purposeless. You feel directionless. You, I want you to abandon your identity. I want you to completely um, abandon your identity in favor of this mission that I'm going to give you. It's larger than you. It's larger than life. It's mm-hmm. all important. It's all powerful. It's all encompassing. And that scene at, where where Bob gets shot and they're doing the whole, his name was Robert Paulson, and you hear the guy say, oh, I get it. Um, in like death. We, we have no identity, yeah. but in death, in service of Project, when one dies yeah. in service of Project Mayhem, he gains his identity. And they're like, his name was Pro-, And you're like, wow, that this sounds cultish, not even Christian. So when I say church, that's what my brain jumps to. But I mean, like, there have been a million different cults out there. And that idea that, like, you in service of this mission or this vision, once you die and that now you come into your identity and now you, it was like. There was a lot of that that I that completely flew over my head the first time. Yeah. Well, there's that there's the very deliberate placement of a priest character that you know is first the target of the one of the guy's homework assignments. He's like spraying him with the hose and slaps his Bible out of yeah. his hand, and then like cut to the guys in Fight Club the next week, and is like you can just see like I like kudos to that yeah. actor 
because he's just like you know in tears so glad to like oh i finally found something yeah, yeah i never that's thought, true i honestly hadn't thought about that until this this moment right now that's amazing the uh, parallel with like religion yeah. or cult yeah, yeah. But, but also like how many i have been in rooms with like youth group members and stuff like that where we're trying to piece together things where we're like like little kids essentially we're like 17 year olds we're like oh this must be what god is trying to teach us right now through this this whatever and, it, and it's you're just piecing it together because you're you have to make it make sense for yourself for your religion mm -hmm. to keep like making sense to keep believing in it and we all do that whether it's like staying in a bad relationship because you're like oh i know they love me probably um they're they're probably they probably only said this because they blah 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 blah, blah. like we all we, we will make those concessions from time to time and in that moment where he's like i understand like like no you don't understand what he's saying like narrator ed, ed norton's character is trying to absolutely be like this is chaos what are you doing and that, that's one of those moments that's before we know the twist right and so um they think they're getting something from there they're being tested by their like their leader or whatever um you know you know what i want to know i saw so i this is so random because i literally this past week saw a tiktok where they were showing every moment in the movie where there was because there, so there's that scene at the beginning of fight club where he's introducing tyler durden and they're like who is this guy and narrator is saying like so here he has all these weird odd jobs one of them is working in this movie theater and they talk about the changeover when you switch from one reel to the next and the cigarette burn and all that stuff in the industry we call these cigarette burns, cigarette burns. Yeah. um and uh then how he like slices bits of pornography into these child movies so there was a tiktok showing how in the movie there's actually all throughout the film i think there's like eight or nine of them splices of tyler durden into random scenes so you're mm -hmm. watching a scene yeah. and he'll flash and he'll pop up i'll be honest i did not know about that until i saw that tiktok oh, and then this time when we were watching it I was like, we, I'd forgotten about it. I was like, oh, I'm going to look for it when you watch. And I'd completely forgotten. And I think the first one is when he uh, confronts or he meets Marla Singer. And mm. she's walking off in the distance and Tyler pops up right there. It was so glaringly obvious to me. Mm -hmm. And I had never seen it before. Is that something you guys caught in theaters or on your first viewing? Am I just an yeah. idiot? Cool, you cool, are cool, an cool. idiot. All right. I'll see you guys later. Enjoy the podcast. Bye, bye <laughs> Yeah, I didn't realize that at all. Yeah, by the second viewing, at least it's like because and, and and the other couple that stand out to me, it's when he's seeing the doctor and he's like, "No, you cannot die from you know lack of sleep." And then like he's like, "You really, you really want to see people in pain? Go to this testicular cancer support group." And that's then, right. Like, that's the first one. Right and then there. I think the next one is actually in the support group. Um, you see him with his arm around the guy at the testicular cancer. Yeah. There, there's one yeah. where he's walking out of the. He's walking yeah. out of his off his job or whatever, and he's talking about like the cornflower blue tie or whatever. Like, I, I think that it, it, it's all it. David Fincher said, it's always in a moment of like where he, where Ed Norton is about to make a decision. Like it's always a moment where he's like, I can't take, I can't take this anymore. Mm. Like a decision has to be made to change my life. Um, so going to the support groups, that's a big, like, Oh, this is the thing that clicked in. It's there. The doctor's office. And then it worked, um, which I thought was really cool. There, there's also stuff well, you know, Dave, don't feel bad. Um, also, Ed Norton and Brad Pitt didn't know until <laughs> until they saw the movie because <laughs> they talk about how Ed Norton says he will watch it. It's the only movie of his that he can watch when it's on TV oh, wow. in a hotel room because he's just so mesmerized by it. Um, but he said that he there's stuff that he didn't catch. And he's like, wow, he'll, he'll text Dave Adventure and be like, wait, is this a thing? And he's like, yeah, yeah I just yeah. see this. Yeah, yeah. I, honestly, here's the thing. Watching this movie now, the thing I was the most blown away with was how well the like it's so well written like the dialogue is so yeah. like just in 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 ed norton like 
good God, is he not one of the best actors we have? <laughs> He's so good. But, I mean, uh, like, people are always asking me if I know Tyler Durden. Like, like just the whole thing about like just the way he like the snappy dialogue, just how well it's written. You wake up at SeaTac, SFO, LAX, wake up at O'Hare, blah, 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 lose an hour, gain an hour. This is your life. Any one minute at a time. Like it's so everything is so deliberate. There's no like a uh, or mm-hmm. word out of place. It's so well, enjoyable. And I think part of that is because it was a great book first. You know what I mean? Similar yeah. to like High Fidelity. High Fidelity is so well written. But yeah. what, what, um, what's his name? Rob Gordon. Um, why can't I think of his that? name? Yeah. What John Cusack did so well with that script, I think that whole team was like they, they chose very well where to lift from the book and where to write in something and set. You know what I mean? And it felt similar in Fight Club. What what are we? Did you forget John Cusack's name just now? I did. I literally did. I couldn't think of his name. This is what happens every time the podcast starts. I, I forget paused, all. I was like, he's not talking about Cusack because you know Cusack. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I don't know my wife's name. I'm not sure if I'm married right now. Until I hit, hang up the call on this thing, my life floods back into my brain. I'm that like, does Damn it, That would have been helpful. I was just like, I was like, this is your favorite movie. Like, and, and I was, all the time. I was honestly, Derek loves High Fidelity too, and so like I was like caught in between this movie and High Fidelity and inviting Derek in, but we did High Fidelity yeah. so early before we decided to have guests on anyway 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 Continue yeah so but now. what i think this movie does well it's like it is well written but really it's just li- it's it's choosing well where to lift from the book i think you know and that's really great and i think like that line you were just sharing about david fincher saying like hey that happens every time narrator is about to make a decision mm-hmm. is really helpful because kate and i were talking about this this is so interesting and i want to find this paper i didn't realize this but kate said she wrote like her senior year of college an entire essay on fight club which no is way. insane. That's amazing. April, my wife no also way. did. And, and like, I've been, I've like, I've asked her, it's like, is there any way you can find that when I was getting ready for this? I was like, I would love to read it just as like a yeah. window back into what were, what did you think about it? And like, cause that was when we were first getting together. Like, how did we think about this? Is it back possible then? that April is Kate's Tyler Durden? <laughs> 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 what if you, what if you both got it and it was the exact oh. same paper? <laughs> that would be amazing or nick maybe you're really you're really only recording this with one person oh oh what if we're both here we are your tyler i mean honestly i thought about that with yeah. dave because we have so freaking much in common that would explain a it lot freaks me out also <laughs> is, anybody has- gonna, is anybody gonna say that this podcast is breaking the first rule of fight club and uh at all <laughs> we're literally taking an hour and a half to break that's amazing that, to just throw that r- rule on the tr- on the ground and stomp on it i was gonna say nick if either one of us is tyler it's me because you have kids so you have more proof of uh proof of life oh that's I do. true yeah but you um, have instagram accounts <laughs> okay so that's a, so that's the question i want to ask why why not why not talk about fight club i within like within the logic of the movie why not talk about it that's something I hadn't thought about. Yeah, that's something I, I think if I had to knee jerk, like without this is a very thoughtless answer because I am I haven't had time yeah. to think about that. I've never thought about that. I huh. would assume it was to create an illusion of it was it was to create the idea of like FOMO, the idea of like this is just ours. Like you protect something, you make it exclusive and it makes people want to be included in it. You tell someone this is a secret and automatically now they want to share it as opposed to not telling them that. And it becomes something that they could just be like ashamed of or like a dirty little secret. But when you say you can't tell anyone instantly, you're like, Oh my God, I have this secret inside of me. You know, that's a a completely knee jerk. answer. I went more. I, I always just thought it was like, because if word gets out, we'll get it shut down. Um, 
Like if it gets too big, it's mm-hmm. going to be this thing where like people are going to come in here and shut it down. Um, because my, one, my favorite scene in the, in one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie is when uh, Lou comes down in the basement and, you know, and they do get shut yeah. down and um, it's so great. Like I love it. So like that entire scene is so iconic to me. I mean, honestly, Incredible. there's so many scenes in this, but when he's like, we really like this place, Lou, um, <laughs> it's, it's so it's so brad pitt in that moment he's doing all this like, brad pitt eh. movements yeah i know <laughs> but, but just him but him getting the shaking out of him to, to prove a point and then and then just bleeding all over him like that was the up to that point i was a 17 18 year old boy seeing that was the most badass move to get your the shit kicked out of you and then like you don't know where i've been lou you don't know where i've you don't know yeah. where I've been, I'm bleeding all over him. Yeah, it yeah, was a total genius move because in my mind, I go, oh, Tyler's about to kick the shit out of Lou. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're waiting he for is. it. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. he is. But then that's where they always go. And that, I think, is setting us up for later on when narrator is going, all right, look, here's the deal. It is me, okay? I want you guys mm-hmm. to shut this hole. And he's trying to trick the cops. And they're yeah. like, no, they said you'd say that too. You're <laughs> too, too, you're, you, you said you yeah, definitely you said like you're too clever where it's like they had to show uh and they were like they talked about how like if anyone if anyone gives away anything with project mayhem again jumping ahead in the film when narrator's trying to shut this down you said we were supposed to take their balls so like we're, we're gonna cut their balls off mm-hmm. so they literally try to tie him to the table and do that and he was just like i can't believe this is your they all tell him like you're a genius for sacrificing yourself this way and, and it's like well, we already saw him do it he did it with Lou. He's done it over and over and over and over and over again. It's like you start seeing how he's planting those seeds of like, I'm going to do what you don't think. Yeah, it's so airtight. You're like, oh, my God, this is like an impossible situation. Like you really do. Like at every turn, you're like, wait a second, would that be airtight? And then at every turn, you're like, oh, man, like he's really screwed. And honestly, it's one of those movies. I remember one of the first movies I ever saw where I was like, I literally don't know where this is going. I don't know how they are going to get out of this. How do you kill your alter ego? And uh it's yeah, it's just incredible. And then the Marla Singer stuff, like it's so fun. This is what I love about the Sixth Sense. These things that are in the Fight Club, the things that are written well like this, you can rewatch it time and time again and be like, okay, let's see if I can see any any cracks in the pavement there. And there's just none. Like for me, I'm watching it. And I'm like, oh, the Marla stuff does make sense. The things they say, Tyler saying, don't you dare talk to her about me. Like like there's so many talk to yeah that's yeah uh, I, I will say honestly, if when I rewatch the Sixth Sense, I forget that Bruce Willis is dead. Like I forget Spoiler, that he is not way. alive, and yeah. Uh, by the way, it was so funny. I was listening to literally to Kevin Smith on the Pete Holmes podcast, which, by the way, is like just this last week it came out. Is one of the oh. wildest rides of any podcast I've ever heard. Like it is mm-hmm. aggressive and fun and really? hilarious, aggressive. and like like there's moments that are tense for me. And I don't, and I think that Kevin Smith is just fucking with Pete Holmes. Anyway, listen Probably. to it. It's it's amazing. I love Kevin Smith. I'm a me huge too. fan of his. But he talks about the first time someone told him about. <laughs> sixth sense the way that they introduced it was to say um uh oh they go oh it's this new bruce willis movie where he's helping out this little kid and then at the end of it you realize that he's dead he's been dead the whole time that was how he told him hey go watch the sixth (laughs) sense movie and he was like dude absolutely worst description of a movie you could have given someone to enjoy them that and he's still at the end of um at the end of seeing the movie, he said he was blown away. Like he walked out going like, I can't believe Bruce Willis was dead. Even though he knew that going in, if yeah, I'm being yeah. honest, rewatching fight club, I did not. I, I thought it was like, um, comically obvious the whole time. 
Like, oh really? There part of, yeah, part of me thought like not that there were no cracks in it because I still think the movie was still a great movie, but I don't think that they did as good of a job hiding it as other films have. Like, it felt like it was made going like y'all should know this, like y'all should have picked up on this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for sure. Sorry, Jared, should we wait for him for a second? Yeah, he froze and he, he's getting back in. Here he is. I saw that. Hey, buddies. <laughs> Derek, that was amazing because your voice, you're, you're, you were just frozen, like smiling and looking at the camera. And we were, I was just like, he's really good at paying attention. Uh, I didn't realize anything until you texted us. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, you are so, you are so good at like just continuing. That's incredible. <laughs> I was trying so hard. Was no, so Derek, I was just, I was just telling Nick, I like for me, when I watched The Sixth Sense, I, uh, I, I still, to this day, every time I watch that movie, I forget that Bruce Willis is dead. It's a good For movie without watching, the twist. It's a good movie without the It twist. really is. But with Fight Club, 20 minutes in, you're like, this was so obvious. How did I ever not see this? Like, it's so, not yeah. in a way that ruins the film, but yeah. I, I cannot forget that they are the same person. It's just like, oh, this was, he was absolutely tweaking our nose because it was so obvious, you know? Yeah, but we hadn't seen anything like that to up to that point, you know? Of course, of course. Something else I was going to say before I lose this train of thought is when we were talking about that splice in and David Fincher saying, hey, that's coming every time he's about to make a decision is today when Kate and I were talking about this, I was getting her feedback again because she wrote that paper on it. I she I think I know where that paper is, but I wasn't able to find it before today. But um, is the movie, 90% of this movie seems like it's about... Tyler and narrator starting fight club, like 90% of it. It's probably closer to 70% of it, but very little of it. I forgot how little of it is spent on project mayhem and narrator trying to unravel all of that. And by the time he realizes Tyler is doing stuff behind my back before he's even really realized I'm Tyler, you know, I think Mm -hmm. he's in some other city when that guy says you're Tyler Durden, you know? Yeah. Um, Like there's like 10% of the movie left now. Like it's not much. And I, was telling Kate, I feel like in rewatching it now, so many ambitious movies have come out and done absurd things that I didn't think were possible on the screen, right? Um, the movie Her did that really well. Again, mm-hmm. a different thing, but you just go like, how could you even make us fall in love with this character that we never yeah. see or everything everywhere all at once was mm-hmm. self-explanatory, but it made me go, man, I really wish they'd spent more time on the Tyler narrator relationship and showing like cool shots and cool ways of the way his mind is unraveling or the way he would fight with himself or how they could. And she was just saying like, yeah, that would be really hard to depict on screen because in a book you hear, you get everything. He says, my palms got sweaty. I blah, blah. Like he, you hear him telling you what he was feeling leading up to every decision if you want. And you can't get that on a screen. And so for me hearing you say that David Fincher was splicing him in there every time he would make a decision, I go, Oh, that was 1999 going, how do I show internal conflict without just this movie being three hours of exposition, you know? Mm-hmm. So like hearing that little thing about the Fincher splices, like it helps me give a little more grace to go like, hey, chill. Because I don't know how I would have made that movie more, but I do feel like we got a little gypped. Like, man, I want to see more conflict between narrator and Tyler once we know the truth. And I feel like that ended so quickly. See, that's, that's interesting because watching it this time, what made it so different than when I, and it's been a long, it's been years since I had seen it previously to this, but I've, I watched it a hundred times, you know, back, back in my twenties. Yeah. Um, I always thought about it as narrator and Tyler, like fighting for control and just, you know, it's like them, how their different personalities come out in their interactions with everybody else watching it this time. It felt to me like the whole movie is really about their internal conflict. 
So it's really like Fight Club. It becomes this other mm. thing, but it really starts with him wrestling with himself. So for me now, like the whole movie is just telling the story of them fighting one another. Everything is a symptom of that internal conflict. Yeah, like Tyler, you know, he starts out as just sort of like a, you know, an attractive like whisper in his ear and maybe a different way of thinking. And then it quickly becomes like, okay, well, maybe this is actually how I should be. And it starts to like exert dominance, Um, which really like this time, the, the thesis of the whole movie for me became that like if a if a if a man does not reckon with himself, he will destroy everything around him. Wow. That's like really he good. starts yeah. to do damage mm-hmm. to everything else, which ha- which has become so much of like the themes of my life and my work. And which is crazy because this was my favorite movie for a decade. You know, like this was like absolutely Derek and I lived together. We we watched this movie. I don't remember a time when this movie wasn't in our DVD player. Um, and if it ever got <laughs> taken out, it was just to put Snatch in or Rounders or something. <laughs> like, oh, good. It's, it's so it's. It's, I, like this was just the the soundtrack, the background of my life for a very important time. And it was just because yeah. it made me feel cool. And I was like, oh, this is cool. This is fun. This is like, you know, it's funny. It's dark. It's weird. It's like makes me feel dangerous. You know, um, I mm-hmm. was just as susceptible as a kid watching it as the members of Project Mayhem. And I remember seeing 100%. I remember seeing people, kids of that age, like. And even now you see memes going around where it's like, Hey, if, if, a, if a man that you're dating has this, has Tyler Durden on, on his wall run, um, he took, he took away the wrong message. Um, and I was like, Oh yeah, oh, that guy was at Woodstock 99 and he's true. wanted, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I want to see? I want to see a Wayne stock 99. We need, we need some, I want to, I want to see, uh, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Wayne's world Two. go watch it. Um, there, there is something about that, which is so interesting because, it's almost like I'm resonating with this movie now on that level where I'm like, yes, absolutely. Like if I didn't reckon, cause I, I can see an alternate version of Nick Flora where I am like, yeah. I am that guy in on the dark web. I am that guy who's like, who's angry. Who's like a total incel. Who's mad at every woman who ever gave, didn't give me attention, but I was nice to them, but they like dated some asshole. Like I was that guy in high school. And so this resonated for me for that because it was like, oh, they don't know how smart I am. They don't know how sneaky I can be. I'm the quiet kid, believe it or not. I was. And so I was like, oh, I could go in and like, before I started talking about my feelings or even knowing what they were, this movie really scratched that itch. Like Derek was talking about at the beginning where you're like, I, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm angry, but I have no outlet for it, um, which is so interesting, dude. This movie came out in 99, literally like a year and a half before 9-11. So like when he talks about mm. like, we have no great war, we have no great whatever. It's wild now because you're like, what are you talking about? Oh, but, it's coming. But in 99, yeah. but in 99, you're right. Like we've talked about it a lot on here, but ni- in my obsession with 1998 being like the last great party year of the 90s. And then that shift turns with the Woodstock 99 is a great example of that. Of And then the angry white boy rock of the, the era, the corn and the, the Limp Bizkit and the Kid Rock and everything. I was like, it's the perfect time for that. And I think what Palinuk, the, the author and Fincher was trying to, was trying to kind of not capitalize on it, but just kind of comment on that. And I, I think everybody at that time, those young dudes took away the wrong, the, the wrong messages. From I don't think that I don't, me and Kate were talking about that and that like, this is part of what I didn't like about the Joker movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix is that like, I sometimes I think people can make 
I don't. I'm not. I'm not as familiar with the book. I think Derek, you, you, both yeah. of y'all. But I think Derek, I, you may have for sure better knowledge than me, if not both of us, on that. But like I, I don't remember. I know that the ending is quite different in the book, but I'm not sure if sometimes it feels like the director is looking for an excuse to make an angry white guy film. Um, and this is I'm being super reductive. Okay, super reductive of uh, what's his name, Todd Phillips. Yeah. Um, and Fincher here because I think that they knew what they were doing, but it's like. Did you make an anti-hero film mm-hmm. or were those guys the villain? The Joker is not an anti-hero. He's a bad guy, dude. Yeah. He murdered innocent people in cold blood over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like he was. And now I'm not saying he wasn't a product of his surroundings, but he's a bad guy. And a lot of people have been a product of their surroundings and not murdered people. So true. Deadpool is an anti-hero. Deadpool does good things the worst way possible. <laughs> Uh, Tyler Durden is uh, is a terrorist. You know what I mean. Yeah. But when I walked away, I walked yeah. away from that movie seeing Tyler as the antihero. Um, you know what I mean. Even if you see the narrator as the antihero, you're seeing Tyler that way because they're the same person. And so, yeah, I want like, what was y'all's takeaway the first time you saw that movie? Did you see them as like a villain? Like, was he more was was that a cautionary tale, or did you see him as something to aspire to? Because I think like until my thirties, that character and that actor in that movie was always like an aspiration and less of a warning to me, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think you can, I I mean, it was for me too, definitely. And I think it's really interesting when you look at the legacy, the movie has left, which is kind of unfortunate. Like it came out and you, and, and you actually started to see real, real life fight clubs pop up around the country. You can like you, there's news stories about you know from that time about like oh there's this like underground thing and it has something to do with this movie when really if people had been paying attention and had been open to it you should have seen guys enrolling in therapy mm-hmm. like that's the actual point of the movie is in and like if you go back to the like within the within the narrative of the movie even uh, when Tyler first shows up and he takes. I'm just going to call him Jack instead of narrator because it rolls off the tongue a little better. When he takes, you know, he takes Jack out for the drink, his apartment's blown up. Um, it actually starts pretty good. He's telling him like, look, man, you're not your, you're not your furniture. You're not your khakis. Stop trying to be perfect. Like you can, you can ask for help. I mean, that's one of the first things he's like, look, you got like, you know, this beer and you, you still can't even ask me for a place to stay tonight. Yeah. And like, that's, that's good. That's that's the voice in the narrator's head being like, look, man, you know what? Maybe this is time for a fresh start. But then it turns it quickly turns into something else because he remains so passive. He just he continues to just let like hope that something will happen to him or he'll let things happen to him instead of taking ownership of it. So it's just it's really telling to me that even when you have it all laid out for you and, and like wrapped up with a bow in this two two hour plus movie that like if you don't reckon with it, if you, if you mm-hmm. don't like let go of this desire to, you know, you think you think things should ought to just work out for you. You invest all your you know energy into stuff that doesn't really matter. Um, if, if you don't get that right, look at what can happen. You know, you're probably not going to form some like local terrorist group, but it's going to be destructive. And yet yeah. we don't see guys flocking to counseling we see them starting their own fight club. Well, it's easier and it's more like manly 
to do that. It's crazy yeah. that that's easier. You're not wrong, but it's crazy that it's easier to say <laughs> right. like, knock my fucking teeth out yeah. and give me and break my bones and make me like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely wreck my face because I don't want to talk. Uh, but I resonate with that. And this right. isn't me being like, it's these guys. It's not these guys. It's like, like I am these guys. But I genuinely would rather take a fist to the face sometimes than like reckon with what you have. Or yeah, even a better way of saying it, I've talked about it on this podcast a lot, like we all have different coping mechanisms. I think anger is a very strange one. I think it's very strange to feel insecure and feel afraid and respond out of anger, but that's mine. Like it's, it's crazy to me to say like, Hey, I know I was angry and I know I was being a dick. I know I was yelling and stuff like that. It's cause I'm afraid it's cause I'm scared. I'm a scared little boy and I want someone like that's an, it's just wild, but it is I think a very common one, especially with men, not only men, uh, not only cis men, but, um, but like I, the other thing about that is that like the the idea that like it is a that it's our prerogative to self-destruct, right? That you go because that's kind of what Tyler does when he says, hey, look, you are not your bank account. You are not your job. You are not what's in your wallet. You are not what's in your you are nothing. You are the same rotting organic material as everything else. So do the work and let's reset everything to zero and reset the status quo where it's like he was right up to a certain point. Uh-huh. You're not in all of those things. But to go so what like that's we all have those thoughts at some point uh kate pointed out that great line where he says like we're starting to realize that we we were told we could be rock stars and movie stars and we're starting to realize that's not true and we want to burn down this facade right it's like hey i'm all for burning down that facade but it's the so what we're all going to reach a point in life where you realize your parents have been telling you you can be the next president of the united states if you want to and that you probably can't um most of us probably can't and you don't want to put that in a kid's head but like what do you do when you deal with that? And I think that for a lot of people, not just men, we think like, oh, it's my, it's my life and it's my prerogative to self-destruct. And you don't stop and think about in this movie, it's done in spectacular, exaggerated fashion. But the mm-hmm. thought that like, hey, your self-destruction, like there is collateral damage to that. Even I thought about it. It's such a cheesy youth pastor connection to make. But like even when he says like narrator says to Tyler at the end, you're going to kill all these innocent people. And he says the buildings are empty. The maintenance staff, all those, those are our people, and they're all out of here. Uh, and then you start watching at the very end when Pixie's Where Is My Mind kicks in, which, by the way, I woke up and finished Fight Club at 7 a.m. today. Weird fucking move. And then <laughs> weird, weird way to start your day, my guy. And then we went to our favorite cafe, La Reunion, here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And as I sat down, Pixie's Where Is My Mind started. And I was like, simulation. But as that's happening and those buildings are falling, you're going, oh, dude, this absolutely killed innocent people. You're watching yeah. two, there's two buildings in the distance that fall and they collide with each other. And you're going like the idea that we're watching a movie about a guy who decides to self-destruct his own life. And that is his prerogative. And he goes off and he lives in this abandoned little house. And in this aban- it's like, dude, even this guy who had these completely unrealistic circumstances that he could live. We were, we were alone at night for a half a mile in every direction, you know, Um it's still every decision he make impacted so many people. And I don't think that people, I can only speak for men, but like, I, I definitely don't think, I think I have had incredible self-destructive streaks in my life and not realize it's not just your life that you are self-destructing. Like these decisions affect other people, whether yeah. you're in a relationship or yeah. not, whether, you know what I mean? And his, like that, that was a big takeaway for me. This yeah. Time. There's this, there's this real turn. I feel like in the movie where, it, and I think it kind of ties back to, you know, when I asked earlier about what, like, why, why did they start? Why is the first rule? Don't tell anybody. I think it starts out with this. It is, it's this fight with himself. Mm. 
he's re- he's beginning to reckon with himself, kind of whether he likes it. Because external circumstances, it, you know, his apartment blows up, which is really himself doing it, I guess. But um, it starts out with like him fighting with his between these two, his his two natures, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at some point, he starts to think like, you know what? Not only have I got this figured out for myself, but this is what everybody else needs. Now I'm going to start telling all these other guys. Like, I'm not just going to fight with myself. I'm going to start fighting with them. And when it becomes Project Mayhem, you notice the first rule of Project Mayhem, sir, is you don't ask questions. So it's no longer keep it to yourself. It's don't even question me. Now, this is not about me. This is about me telling you what you need. You're not allowed to fight it out with yourself and figure it out. I'm your boss. Just do it. Do what I say. Don't ask questions. Everything will be okay. And yet, to your point, Dave, like, yeah, of course, other people are going to get hurt. Because when one guy starts thinking he's got all the answers for everybody else and starts calling all the shots, like nobody can be that guy. That's so good. And that's so I don't think there's one person listening to this that doesn't have 20 people popping into their head when you say that. Absolutely. How many countries are led by men or people like that? How many marriages are led by people like that? How Mm. many religious organizations? And there's also Mm. countries and marriages and religious organizations with checks and balances that are led in healthier ways. And, you know, so it's not to say that, but like, yeah, absolutely. You see every single year, uh, you know, dozens of names in the headlines. Uh, of oh this person has you know quote unquote their fall from grace or whatever it is yeah. it's always yeah. one guy sh- calling the shots and eventually you go like yeah that doesn't go well you know yeah whether it's like Jerry that's crazy whether it's like a pastor person like Jerry Falwell or somebody <laughs> the, the Harvey Weinstein like it doesn't matter this does not discriminate that's what's so wild about mm-hmm. it it's not like oh religion's bad or like it's basically a cult I'm like honestly like capitalism is too like it's all like. Which, which that part, you know, going back to that point, um, uh, but I didn't get to say it, so I'm going to say it now. You guys said it. Um, <clears throat> uh, <laughs> it's my podcast, but the part that where he, <laughs> just kidding, but, but, but him, it's it's so smart because honestly, it gets the the antihero thing that, to answer that question too. You like Tyler? We like Tyler because he he's causing chaos in like really silly ways and it doesn't really hurt anybody except for you know the, the soup thing isn't great um <laughs> but uh um <laughs> uh, but like uh, yeah when, when he's saying like why do you why do guys like you and i know what a duvet is you know like that whole conversation you're like oh it's a good point like we get so wrapped up in like our belongings and uh and our, our obsession with capitalism and being consumers yeah we forget that we're supposed to be people who who live full lives which is a that is a very good point and you know the whole like fuck martha stewart she's polishing the brass in the titanic Martha's going down man um and i was like it's really it's really powerful and then but that's where all i feel like cult leaders and they all start with that they all start with this like we can all relate to this and you're like hey make some good points and then your brain just the way our brains work we look for patterns so your brain starts looking for like well they made a good point before Eh, that one's a little bit dicey but he said that thing earlier remember we agreed with that so like and he's kind of like he's chiseling down the the critical thinking part of our brain. Like it's so it's so textbook. It's yeah. not even funny. Like it's textbook narcissism. It's like it's everything. And so many religions do this. So many cults do this. So many good Lord uh, corporate environments yeah. do this. Just yeah. jobs do this where it's like they say truth, 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 truth. So and then it's there. So because of all of this truth, we are going to and it's the conclusion they arrive at where you go like, hey, stop. Nobody should be arriving at conclusions for you like this conversation. And honestly, if you want to take it back to religion again, like even in 
old times, a lot of the things that our modern day religions are based on modern, a lot of not all, but a lot of modern day religions have turned into come to this place and be told what to believe and be sent out from here with your new knowledge. Whereas in the past it was, Hey, come to this place to discuss and argue, um, well right to in in a in an organized fashion Discourse, and yeah. we're going to all go um we're all going to say what we think and we're going to leave here with less answers than we arrived with but this is the process through which we work through these things right and so it's like any scenario where people are saying truth 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 so do this and it's, it's tough to say like and don't think for yourself because there's also some recent demographics who have start to use phrases like doing their own research <laughs> like, you know what I mean like, you're like yeah, hey yeah. I really want to walk this line let's listen to medical professionals and legal professionals yeah. but as it comes to what capital capitalism represents and how we should respond to that hey maybe wrestle with that one yourself you know what I mean when it comes to issues of morality and how you what kind of person you want to be maybe work through that yourself and arrive at your own conclusions mm-hmm. when it comes to what the doctor said you should do listen to listen it. to professionals <laughs> absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah like the, the guy who got his degree and not from wikipedia and youtube um yeah the, i mean you make such a good point like it i never really thought about the cult of like the cult stuff in this movie but it's so interesting how it this movie is a cult like this movie is it's so meta that like the the people who even even derek when we were like I mean, we made friends by being like, oh, you like Fight Club? <laughs> like, oh, man, I love that movie. And because sure. when you're young and you're in your 20s, you're making best friends and stuff based on like, oh, we like the same movies. We both really love yeah. Usual Suspects. We both really love whatever it might be. That is how you make your friends. It's based on like, oh, we like the same band and that's it. That's that's all we need. All There's so many things that echo the movie itself that happened in real life with its release. It's, it's great. You can, there's no way. No publicist in the world is that good. Um, integrating marketing, but good Lord, it's incredible. We got to boost these fight club DVD sales. <laughs> Someone plant a splinter cell in freaking New York. Okay. I want to mention something really quick. Cause she never gets mentioned, but uh, Marla Singer is such an awesome character, dude. She is so good. Like she is overshadowed in the conversation because, because Brad Pitt and Ed Norton are so enigmatic, but man, Helena bottom Carter is so good in this movie. Dude, and she has an absolute track record of taking on impossible characters to depict on the screen and depicting them better than they're written. She did it with Marla Singer. She did it in Sweeney Todd. Mm -hmm. She did it in Harry Potter with Bellatrix Lestrange. Like, she just keeps doing stuff where you're like, I read that character and I thought no one is going to be able to be this, this, this specific to that character. And she just comes in and embodies it. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely so good. It's incredible. Like the the way that uh, Derek, go ahead. I'll keep talking. Well, just just as like as acerbic as she is, right? And how I mean, she's she's trying to hit bottom alongside the narrator the entire time. But by the end, like when she comes back, she's you know right before uh, he he puts her on the bus to try and get her out of town. Like they sit down at the cafe, and like you really feel for her. Yes. You know, she's like you went like you're starting to realize what's going on and she's and you, you start to see the whole thing through her eyes. And like, I've been with this guy and he's he's like two people. Mm-hmm. But to her, it's just one person. And he's like, you know, you love me. You hate me. You like like I don't know who I'm going to get with you at all. And she like it's such a vulnerable portrayal of that yeah. at that moment. Just I mean, you, you, you're absolutely right. Like she yeah. knocked it out. Of it's, it's a- also the way in that scene. Mm-hmm. Ed Kowalczyk, lead singer of Live. Oh, no way. 
the, the guy that comes out and he's like, anything you want, sir, free of charge is like uh, clean food. Well, uh, I would suggest, uh, you know, not the clam chowder. Then. That's, that's Kowalczyk of live. What the, that, that is crazy. Wow. Her placenta falls what, to the wait. floor live lightning crashes. <laughs> yes. The, the very same. Wow, that's crazy. I did not know that. Yeah, do you know, I remember watching this movie the first time and hating Marla Singer the way the narrator does. Again, I empathized yeah. with the the with the the narrator slash Tyler Durden the first time around. And the second time around, I had so much empathy, sympathy, I should say, maybe yeah. even for Marla, where it's like from the get-go, the way again this is where like the screenplay did such a good job of just taking advantage of every second on screen where it's like they sit down to order and she orders at, he goes she goes you're paying and then she orders all this food where it's like dude this woman who knows what she's been through who knows how she got here maybe it was a series of her own decisions maybe it wasn't maybe this is the, the, the card she got dealt but like she is scrapping for like every next meal you know what i mean like and that that mm. that picture that gets painted of the narrator in the beginning as pathetic as he is she's down there with him and he looks down on her he is punching down to her the whole time then when you learn they're the same person in the morning after they have sex and he goes what are you doing in my house this is my house this is my what house you, you can't here? be in my house yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she's just like are you like you saved me from committing suicide and we had sex all night and now you're kicking me out like you see that no. in reverse and you're like as an adult, a well, hopefully well-adjusted adult, you're like, oh my God, this poor woman. And still, at the end of that entire film, when Pixies kicks in and those bands start falling down, she reaches out and grabs his hand. And you're like, yeah. good God, do we need people? Like she, even in the midst of this insanity, she's like, this is the only hand I have to hold. You know what I mean? So I like, that, okay. That, one of my favorite ending lines in the movie too, you met me at a very strange time in my life. It's so good. It's so good. It, uh, yeah, the whole like Marla thing if you just play out like in an alternate reality so jack's apartment blows up he goes to the payphone the first person that he actually calls is marla and she picks up and then he like you know he hangs up and then you know it, the way that it plays out in the movie is he picks up and calls tyler what what would actually be happening is he's like no i don't need her i can i can handle this on my own i just need to summon this you know this alpha male energy and i'll you know i'll just bare knuckle it through this and I'll be okay. And then later on, there's the line, Tyler talking to the narrator where he's like, I'm beginning to wonder is another woman really what we need. And like you rewind and you think, how would this story have played out differently mm -hmm. if he had just stayed on the line with Marla, if he had just reached out to another person, if at any point there had been a, a woman <laughs> like speaking into this, right? another point of view, a feminine point of view, something that didn't always tend toward violence and anger and fear. Mm. Um, how much differently would this whole thing? And not only out? that, but Marla uh, was a scrapper. She knew how to take care of herself. He could probably learn some things from her as far as like that goes. But it's really right. interesting watching it this time. I was like, I also hated Marla Singer when I, when I first watched this movie and because my, my perspective shift in the 20 years since it's come out, my, my thought was, Oh, I always thought she was crazy and chaos whenever she's in a scene. But if you play the reality from her point of view, she is crazy because the man in her life is bipolar and is like push, pull, hot, cold is like whenever, anytime we call a woman, Oh, she's just crazy. Like throw reductive, throw her out the window. Like, I don't know, man, she's crazy. Whatever. I don't know. Like more than likely she is 
like crazy because the men in her life have driven her a little bit insane because of oh my the God, in, of inconsistency. So I, I was just, I, I was kind of like, oh yeah, she's crazy. She's weird. She's, she's whacked out of her mind. Just, just trying to simplify her experience. So it was easier to discard. And this time around, I'm like, oh, this poor woman has been through, like, I would watch an entire Marla Singer movie to know how she got to this point. 100%. And especially with her, like, it would be so incredibly captivating. Um, but it's interesting watching it now. You're absolutely right. You're like, this poor woman, like, she's been through so well, and much. I, I think it's even in the script. Like you said, like, there's parts in it, like the line that everybody cringe laughed at the first time they heard that out of sheer, like, I haven't been fucked like that since grade school. <laughs> and everyone, everyone in the theater blurt laughed out of like, I can't believe she just said that. The like, shit that comes surely out of that's a mouth. joke. That's a yeah. comedy. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. And, it's, and it has a very irreverent, lighthearted, con- like, you kind of have to have that tone with that line in the movie to like, for it to not derail everything. But you go like, yeah, that's how she got here. Like she has been a product of like this abuse her entire life. And, and sure. you're right. She just showed up and smoked cigarettes and the narrator lost his damn mind that anyone else would do, would need what he needs and is doing what he's doing here. Mm-hmm. He needs to be the only one who finds this solace. And Kate even said, I didn't think about this even, but the scene where he's going to confront her finally and call her the tourist after he's mm-hmm. like fantasized about this, he's like, Hey, we need to talk. And he just grabs her arm and yanks her over to the other side of the room, like grabs her by her upper arm. And she goes, Kate goes, are you kidding me? Like this guy just grabs a woman in a support group by her arm and drags her across the room and no one says a word. And I'm like, I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me that he was doing that. And you're just like, yeah, this guy was bipolar and abusive from the get go. And she was just like, I'm lonely. I'm literally at a testicular cancer support group because I need someone to talk to. She kind of never did anything wrong like at all. And that's it. I had never thought about that, Derek. I think that's whether you, what you were saying earlier about the whole, like, I wonder if a woman if another woman is what we need right now. Like mm-hmm. Tyler is saying that to narrator Tyler is the devil on the shoulder. And you're going like, man, if you had recognized uh, the same brokenness in this person that you have in you, the same longing for some kind of connection. And like, ha- would y'all have been able to save each other from whatever situation you were in? If you had just been open to human connection instead of deciding to absolutely self-destruct, because it's really like she was his lifeline. I've never thought of her that way, you know? Yeah. Because they painted her like the script and his point of view. Like we live in his point of view as far as like him saying, she's my enemy. She's taking away my solace and my peace because I was the tourist and now she is. And he says like her lie exposes my lie. And I I think there's, we just believe that we're like, Oh yeah, get, get her out of here. He was really doing well. And it was, you know who it almost was that that part was almost played by Reese Witherspoon. And she turned it down at the last minute because it was too dark. Thank you. It was almost her. And and uh, Russell Crowe was in was like for a minute attached to the Tyler Durden piece. What was nope nope nope, nope. We, I don't want it I don't want it. We would not have been doing a podcast about this. <laughs> Reese Reese, <laughs> right? you are a national treasure. We don't deserve you, Reese Witherspoon. Yes. But stay out of Fight Club. And she knows that that was the yeah. that was the early burgeoning producer and Reese Witherspoon going yeah. not right for this. Which part. is interesting because we were we talked about it on the Clueless episode because she was almost uh, Alicia Silverstone's character in in clueless too so i wonder if she regrets either or both of them i I doubt she regrets fight club i don't think anyone could see anyone's performance in that and think that they should have been in it instead oh it's perfectly cast even down to um uh what's his face blondie what's his name jared Jared leto Leto. yeah i always forget he's in it i always forget jared leto's in it 
Man, yeah. another thing that changed with me watching this movie is it was 30 times as satisfying to watch his face get rocked in this movie <laughs> after a decade of Jared Leto just being <laughs> just being like human spoiled milk in the media. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's just like every yeah, time yeah. I read a, tie, a a headline with that guy. Do you know like him. you know what my favorite Ooh. my favorite Jared Leto story is? Um it makes me <laughs> it makes me so happy because I also feel the same way. So he he t- took a two-month isolation trip into the mountains without technology and phones and everything and came back into society um at, uh on April 1st, 2020. <laughs> like <laughs> He didn't know COVID was happening and he came back while we were all in isolation. <laughs> That's amazing. What a hero he is. He literally what said a, he, he said he drove hero. back into LA at, at like at peak drive time, like and it was just empty. And he was like, What happened? So anyway, I, I just <laughs> it just makes me like it's already a pretentious thing to like go, you know, what a first world, you know you have to go to this, yeah, yeah, yeah. this spa and have this isolation therapy and everything. And then you come back in the world's isolating. It just makes me laugh. I just think about Jared and Jared Leto walking back and just being like, the fuck? What uh, happened? Yeah. 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 He probably still, it probably still took him three months to figure it out. The guy's so disassociated from reality. I know it really, he bumps me out severely. He uh, came back and started working on his accent for the next horrible film he was in. Sorry. I'm such, I'm so not a Jared. I used to be such a Jared Leto fan, but I'm just like, uh, the Joker ruined it all for me. His Joker is when I was like, "Wait, what?" I know, and, and, uh, and great his, actor. And he was great antics, in so many movies. And his antics on the set when you hear that he was like, "Yeah, his his off screen mailing dead rats to people," and like, and him like <laughs> spitting in Margot Robbie's face, like all those stuff. I was like, "What are you doing?" Like, yeah, you know, I hate meth. Unreal. Actors. I can't remember who the actor was. I want to say Andrew Garfield, but it may have been someone else. Recently, was talking about method acting and how much of a bad rap it gets. Um, I'll, I'll remember who it was. Uh, not on this podcast. Stay tuned for next week. <laughs> but uh, but they were talking about how like yeah, they're like I'm I'm very into method acting. It is not you have to call me the Joker and I have to actually be a villain in real. Like that's not what method acting is. Mm-hmm. Like method acting is there is a method through which you connect with your character, and that is by like doing a lot of the things that they do. They're like what Jared Leto did, and he named a few other actors. He was like, that's straight up anybody who has been formally or classically trained in like method acting would say like that is a hundred percent not it. And it's just giving us like a horrible name. And I I can't imagine like the what makes you go like, oh, I'm just gonna mail Margot Robbie a dead rat or a used condom or whatever he was. I'm like, to make the the shittiest Joker movie that ever happened for your little cameo in Suicide Squad, I know. you terrorized a bunch of your coworkers. If you have Margot Robbie's garbage. address, it, that's what you're gonna do with it. <laughs> Jeez, come on. Um, uh, anyway, back to David Fincher really quick. But as we kind of wind down here, uh, th- like it's crazy how you were talking about the antihero thing. He kind of has a thing with that. I was I was like, wait, because I, I it made me think of the Social Network, which is my other favorite david fincher mm. movie um and you are which i want to talk about on some point on this podcast because that movie is brilliant and the portrayal of mark zuckerberg you're kind of like on his side and then at some point you're like wait, wait, wait no 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 like he's a bad guy like i forgot about this and uh yeah. but you are but his he's the unreliable narrator right so like we're watching it from his point of view and you're like we, mm. we want this guy he's our he's the main guy we want him to get all the wins um and at some point you have to be like oh no 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 like um, Andrew Garfield, if anybody, is probably the good guy in this. But we're like, no, he's going to get his own and all this stuff like that. Um, same thing with Gone Girl, which is another Fincher movie. Um, like the whole time you're like, because we're seeing it through Ben Affleck's eyes. Like we're like, no, he's he's 
he's our guy. Like we want him to find his wife. He's he's blah 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 blah. And then the the, the more the the it un, you know the movie reveals itself, you're like, oh, he's a piece of garbage. Um, actually, every, really everybody is. in that movie is is kind of a mess. I I love Gone Girl. It's very polarizing, but I think Gone Girl is incredible. I watch it. I really enjoy I watch it. it once a year. Yeah. It's so like just I love the way Fincher sees like his. Just the way he sees the world is so interesting to me. Seven, um, Panic. Room, I think his version I of Girl with it. Girl Girl with the Dragon Tattoo was very polarizing as well. But I love. I that did one. too. I he did a great job of that. Daniel Craig like stretching his legs a little bit there too. Um, but, yeah. but but yeah, Panic Room. Panic Room underrated. Panic Room is really mm-hmm. good. Panic Room was great. I also I'm just looking at his IMDb. I didn't realize this, but he he produced quite a bit of them. But he directed one of the episodes of Love, Death, and Robots on Netflix. Have you guys seen that? I don't know what that is. Oh man, mm-hmm. it's one of my favorite it. anthologies. It's literally just an anthology of shorts. They could, some of them are live action, some of them are CGI, some of them are animated. The the tone shifts violently from episode to episode, kind of Black Mirror ish, but less uh, uniform in their tone. And literally every episode has to do with love, death, and or robots. Like one, if not th- all three of those. It's really interesting. There's like three seasons called? of it now. It's just a fun kidding. binge. Um. <laughs> I almost answered you seriously. I know, so I thanks know, for I saying know, just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, yeah. Did you guys see Mindhunter? Mm-hmm. No, but I saw that on his IMDb. What is that? So it's it's uh, starring. Um, uh, oh, I just blanked. Who's the guy? He he did uh, Olaf. No, not Olaf. Josh Gad. Not Josh Gad. He did. He did. He, he was also in Frozen, though. The the guy. The, the prince, the guy, Spin, is it Spin or was that the reindeer? reindeer? Anyway, <laughs> okay, Kristoff. Yes. Oh no, yeah, I yeah, can keep yeah. going. I'll just keep naming things. Um, uh, Jonathan, yeah, Groff. Groff. Taylor Thomas. <laughs> is that a person? <laughs> yeah, that Jonathan one. Groff. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So him and uh, uh, Colt McElhaney. I, I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. He played the mechanic though in Fight Club. So this, I guess, was probably like when, yeah. where he and and Fincher like connected. Um, and it is a like based, you know, based in reality story of the CIA program that first studied serial killers. So wow. they they play this like pair of detectives that are trying to start this new way of of like getting their heads around crime. And when people first started committing these serial crimes, trying to like profile them and figure out what is it that drives somebody to do this? It's, it's incredible. It's great. Um, Dang. Totally. Recommend yeah. It. I, that, that's but, one of those. I have to be in like the mood for serial killer stuff. That's why also I haven't seen Zodiac, which is the David Fincher thing, which I've heard is good. Oh, it's amazing. Um, also go, go with pre fight club, dude. Like I remember the game. The game with Michael. Oh my Michael God. Douglas, I love Sean game. Penn. I love the game yeah. that and my little brain couldn't handle the game when that first what was that 90, <laughs> 97, 97, 98, 97. Yeah. Yeah. So 97 again, I'm 11. And I remember my parents going to the theater to see that on date night and talking all about it and then renting it. As soon as it came out, we went straight to entertainment central <laughs> on a, on a Tuesday night to get it. But I remember like that, that's that ending still blows my mind. Like the the way that he wrapped that up and everything, like he did, he was M Night before M Night was M Night in terms of like the mm-hmm. surprise twist ending. That was mm-hmm. so good. Michael Douglas, man, in his heyday, I know. And Sean Penn, 
right, as we, is are there any closing thoughts, Derek? Did you, I know we took notes here. Uh, I think all of us did. Is there anything that we that didn't get brought up that we have to bring up and mention about Fight Club, or we'd hate ourselves? Two two quick hits at the end. One, Dave, because you you mentioned going all the way back. You talked about uh, the role of like anger and fear. How fear is at the root of anger. You also talked about the opening credits and the opening credits. Uh, David Fincher had a completely separate budget just for the opening credits. Like the studio was like, we're not going to do that. You have to finish the movie first. And then if it's good, we'll give you an extra like budget to do the opening credits. And so they did. And you're right. Not only is it supposed to represent like synapses firing, he actually researched what does the brain look like when it's experiencing fear. And that's what that's specifically what that is. It's supposed to be a brain when it's afraid. And then it backs all the way out until, you know, the guns, guns in his mouth. See, this is the stuff that we need. This is the stuff that I need when I say, like, I feel like we got gypped on some of the internal monologue that you get from the book. And it's like, no, you're just dumb. And you're not (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like talking to myself, it's like, no, the director is giving us all that. I'm like, I don't know, CGI, it's like a brain or some shit. Move on. Like, (laughs) (laughs) hang it with your words or don't take me to pick it up. I love the idea of a, of a neuroscientist like watching Fight Club and being like, oh, shit, fear. <laughs> <laughs> he recognizes it. He's like, well, I get it. Yeah, I get Everybody it. Whole like, you know, you know, honey. <laughs> That's amazing. What was the other one? You had two, be- two beats? Yeah, the other one, you mentioned Cameron Crowe. And I just remembered he, he actually did uncredited work on this screenplay. Whoa. So, Fight Club, he he did. I don't know what he did, but he uh, he he got a pass at the screenplay at one point. It is rare that I learn a new Cameron Crow fact because I've I've done I've scoured the internet for all of them, so that's incredible. Nick, that's it's good. I, knew, I knew you'd like that. It's even impressive, Nick, that you could say that whole sentence while you Googled Fight Club Cameron Crow movie poster, so that you could add that to your memorabilia <laughs> now that Cameron oh. Crow is connected to it. <laughs> it's so true. I need it. I need that. I need, I got um. It's one of those things like I forget going back to Kevin Smith, like Kevin Smith is friends with like Paul Thomas Anderson. Like it's just so I'm like, oh, yeah, Fincher and uh, and Cameron Crowe know each other. Like all these people kind of know each other. It's like, oh, yeah, they're in the same line of work. Of course, you know, it's like I, I would never imagine, you know, in Paul Thomas Anderson, like married to Maya Rudolph. But before that would go and hang out at at comedy clubs in the in the nineties in the early two thousands. And so that's why he puts comedians in all of his movies. Like it's like how he knows Adam Sandler. That's why, you know, uh, he put, he put Patton Oswalt and Paula Tompkins and stuff in, in, uh, uh, Magnolia. And I was just like, Oh yeah. It's just interesting to me. Um, to think of these people as people. Cause you watch their art and you're just like, Oh, they're probably pretentious and all this stuff like that. Cause I, I wouldn't know what to say if I walked up to David Fincher, except call him sir and like nod slowly knowingly. But I, I love that, that, that this movie has was the glue for a long time for Derek and I's friendship, you know, as, as shallow 20 somethings who didn't know how to talk about our emotions and stuff. And I love that our friendship has grown into this point where like, that's kind of all we talk about now. <laughs> it's like, I mean, we talk about movies and stuff, <laughs> but like we, we kind of like have, have evolved with this. Um, and uh, it makes me so happy, but Jeez, what a journey. What a journey we've what been on, What a journey guys. we've been on today, the three of us, the, the holy triumvirate. <laughs> we are the rush of podcasting. We are. It's been said. <laughs> Officially, now that yeah. you've said it, it's been said. Now it's been said. Derek, you are the best guest this podcast has ever had. 
hands down. Hands down by a wide margin. You are you're the OG guest. My apologies to every guest to follow. <laughs> That's at a high bar. Impossible. I know, right? No, we'll, we you will return. We will make you come back on because absolutely. You you were my you were my like I, I think I said earlier you're my first movie friend and uh, it's so much fun to, to have you in my life now in my 40s and now you're like my movie friend but also my friend friend <laughs> we actually are in each other's lives and stuff it's so great I'm still um, not sure that you're real Derek I still you you still may be just some weird AI amalgamation that deep fake that Nick created so that we could have another one of us. Um, but if that's not the case, then I'm looking forward to meeting you. <laughs> yeah. The copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> hey, people, follow us everywhere. Follow us. I'm Dave Wears Black everywhere. He's Nick Flora everywhere. Better Men Film Club on Instagram, Better Men Pod on Twitter. And you can email us at bettermenfilmclub at gmail.com. We've been getting really sweet messages. Um, I forget her name. Do you remember her name? Uh, the person who wrote us that super sweet Instagram message last week, Nick? No, I don't. But, look it up uh, and I'm going to say it again. Because I want to say it again because she was so dadgum sweet. That was so nice. Hannah. Thanks, Hannah. You said super nice things oh, yeah. about listening through our Before Trilogy episodes. That was awesome. You want to send us nice messages? Go for it. You want to send us mean messages? Go for it. We'll ignore them. Uh, I'll probably read some of them and cry a little bit, but I'm not going to admit it to you guys. Um, <laughs> Eric, do you want people to follow you places? Is that, are you, I don't know how, what's, where's your personal private? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't post anything anywhere. So they would be wasting their sweet, precious time. All right. So if you're listening to this, we have access to Derek and you do not. Ha <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Follow Adam him on Marco Polo. <laughs> give him more things to watch. Do <laughs> that. Yeah. Would you, you want to talk to me? Invite me on your podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like you care. I love exactly. it. Well, last week I had the movie quote. My quote was, let me pull it up again because I always mess it up just a little bit. Tonight, here's the quote. Tonight, I'll show you how dreams are prepared. Love, friendships, relationships, all those ships. And that was from The Science of Sleep uh, from 2006 starring Gael Garcia Bernal. Uh, incredible movie. Michelle Gondry. Um one of my favorite films. I haven't seen it in a long time, but that's one of the few that I discovered during my douchey college phase where I was watching like Fight Club and Closer and all these really dark movies. Uh, and it's a really sweet, troubled, sweet movie about a really troubled guy. If you haven't seen it, you probably haven't mm -hmm. seen it. Go look at Good luck finding it, honestly. I think I own it on Apple Movies. You can find it there. But Science of Sleep. Yeah, you can ask Dave. He'll give you the, his login for Apple Movies. And you can watch it there. <laughs> I really will. Um, <laughs> um, the movie quote this week is um, what do you guys want out of life well to die and come back as a leotard <laughs>